0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Aneptus Astartes, episode 3 to be precise. I am Ned and once again I will be your solo host Um, and we've got some very exciting things to talk about today. Later on in the episode we will finish up the segment that we've been doing on line troops, talking finally about the much anticipated recon squad uh, we also, we're going to answer a couple of listener emails that I have been neglecting and I apologize greatly for that. And then we'll talk a little bit about some exciting narrative things that are going to come in the community at large. And then I'm also really going to look for your input on where to go next. So the first thing we're going to talk about is a question from a listener named Nick who wrote a really long email to me asking for help and saying some very kind things. Um, I'm going to sum this up, Nick, but basically uh, Nick wants to create a blended Mechanicum and a Stardust force, and he wants to do it as a traitor force. In particular, he's interested in Iron Warriors and Wordbearers and then Mechanicum allies for both of those. He sounds like a lot of people in that he has bought a couple of models which he just thinks look cool, and so now he's just kind of wondering about what his next steps are. The fun thing is that he is already trying to imagine how the models are going to fit together as far as how they're going to play together on the field and what the story behind them might be. So, for example, if they play with his word bearers, you know, is he going for this, like, demon-infested, cyber, maniacal um, force that comes together with demons and word bearers? Or is he looking at just a heavily metallicized or mechanized um, you know, siege engine filled list with a bunch of siege terminators, and then you know tanks and and uh, constructs and whatever else being in support. And I will say this, Nick: all of those are really cool ideas, but there's one big problem right now, which is that as of right now, we do not have the rules for um, that army. As of the time that I'm recording this segment right now, we just found out that the Mechanicum book will be available for pre-order next week. And so it's an exciting time, actually, for you to ask this question because um, coming up soon, I will be able to talk to you specifically about how all that goes together. And I'm very much hoping hoping to do um, some sort of review of that book uh, as soon as I can get my hands on it. So hopefully that's something that you can all look forward to, listeners, soon. And Nick, I promise, once we are able to, um, you'll be able to you hear me helping you develop your Iron Warriors Mechanicum list right here on Anephthys Stardus. One of the things which you may not be familiar with, because I was unsure from your email how much you know about the lore, I'm not a huge Mechanicum lore buff myself. I'm not the best person to talk to yet, but I'm looking forward to learning more about them. But essentially, it looks like if the new book follows what we think it's going to follow, you will have different um, Ordos or different... um, different basically rites of war which are going to slightly sculpt and shape the way your Mechanicum force works. So you'll be able to do things like, you know, give more um, automata line. So they're more like just big hulking cyber suits walking around. You might have a force that's more intensely dedicated towards Um, uh, destroying your opponent with artillery and weapons, so destroying terrain, whatever else, or a more defensive structure, and other things in between. There's going to be lots of really cool war gear, lots of really cool options to outfit your characters, and so we will go over all of that, and I will definitely help you put something together. I'm very excited to do so. So the next topic is going to be the Dark Angels, and several several listeners have uh, sent messages to me asking for help or just general questions about building that legion, um, and I can totally understand why. The Dark Angels have a, a, a lot of complexity behind the things that they can do. They have six rites of war right off the bat. Their mark system and the different ways you might choose to layer those things on top of each other means that there's a lot for you to look at and talk about. Um, so uh, John has been uh, oscillating back and forth between you know, does he want to do Stormwing? Does he want to do the Eschaton Imperative, which is the Dreadwing Rite ring, ring right of War? I have some other listeners who are really interested in Deathwing because of the lore. Um, but there's a lot of complexity behind this, and, and I think this is one of the things... I mean, tell me what you all think. Um, I think I might actually make just an episode about Dark Angels at some point, because they're a really good example of... A very complex set of rules and somehow sometimes like less is more when it comes to making your own army work and i'll, I'll give you one example of why so when you are building your dark angels um, army every unit has a chance to be given a different mark of the hexagrammaton and um the deathwing is one of those marks deathwing gives it has a small list of uh sword labeled weapons and if you're a deathwing model infantry model and you have one of those weapons you get a plus one to hit in the assault phase so they're like the knights and that's a cool it's a great buff um, and it's really useful in a lot of situations and um, I think if we we talk about it more specifically I'll show you how I intend to use them Um, it also gives you an additional plus one to your strength when doing ramming attacks but that's less less essential for what we're talking about. There is a Deathwing Rite of War um, that is specifically supposed to be tailored towards this Rite of War, but this is where things get a little weird. So the Deathwing Rite of War is the Unbroken Vow. Um, it has three effects like a lot of these. Um, the, three, the first effect is the Legion Veteran Squads, the Legion Tartaros Squads, and Legion Cataphracti Squads uh, that are maybe selected as troop choices in a detachment with this Rite of War. Models with the independent character special rule and the deathwing unit subtype permit attachment using this right of war gain plus one attack within when they're within 12 inches of an objective. Not bad. And all models in Legion veteran squads, Legion Tartarus squads, um, or cataphracti squads gain in this right of war gain uh, heart of the Legion. So that's the one that. If, you're within, if the majority of your squad is within six inches of an objective, you get a plus one to your Feel No Pain. Or if you don't have an Apothecary with you, then just a six plus Feel No Pain. So it's it's good for survivability. The limitations are that um, uh, Tartaros, Terminator squads, cataphractic squads, and Veteran squads have to be Deathwing, so you don't get a chance to use any of the other marks, which isn't so bad necessarily. The Warlord must have the Deathwing unit subtype or be the Lion. And then finally, the last one, which is the big one, um, you place an objective marker at the center of the board. If you don't control it by the end of the game, your opponent gets one victory point. But And if your opponent is able to control it, they gain D3 victory points. So you can really, really shoot yourself in the foot if you're not able to hold the center. Now, this is most likely comparable, or more very directly comparable to another Rite of War, which is Pride of the Legion. Pride of the Legion is a rite of war that is available to all Space Marine Legions. And um, its three effects are that veteran squads, uh, cataphracti, or Tartaros squads may be selected as troops in this detachment. But additionally, any of those squads taken as compulsory troops gain the line subtype. So what this means is you have two compulsory troop slots per detachment, Uh, you have to fill those. And so if you select Tartaros, Cataphracti, or veteran squads as those, then they gain line. They become scoring. So you would obviously probably take more troops. You might consider taking tactical squads or whatever else, but any of your troops that you select as compulsory, you can give line. You can give scoring to those special units, which is cool. Any unit composed entirely of models with Cataphracti, Tardros, Terminator, or any other Terminator armor that is normally selected as an elite choice for your army can also be a troop choice, although non-scoring probably. So lots of legions um, have, in this case, Dark Angels. They've got elite special Terminator squads. Those could also be troops. You wouldn't necessarily need to do this, but if you were like really short on elite squads or elite spots in your force org chart, then it would give you an option for something to do to build. Now, there are limitations. Any army whose primary detachment is using this right of war cannot select an allied detachment. So that's a pretty big thing. It, it's not as uh, common anymore for this to happen. Uh, in 1st edition, there were lots of rights of war that that hamstrung this allying, but it's less common now. So this one still has that. A unit using this right of war may only select a single fast or fast attack and heavy support choice, which is big. An allied detachment at all cannot use this right of war. An army using this right of war may not select fortification choices. And an army using this right of war may not include more non-infantry units than it does infantry units. So those are a lot of restrictions, but let's really break down what they mean. You cannot have more non-infantry units than you do infantry units. Okay, so if you are taking... A number of veteran squads and then terminator squads in this army, you're going to be eating up a lot of points. Now, if they all get transports, you still are, on the whole, um, making sure that you have more infantry squads or an equal number of infantry squads to your vehicles. There is a restriction that you can only have one fast attack choice and one heavy support choice. But um, you can still take dedicated transport land raiders or Spartans as they need be. The fa- losing the fast attack might hurt actually more in some situations because you'd only take like what one squad of, I don't know, maybe you want to take a squad of um, jet bikes or speeders or, you know, some sort of flyer, um, a Xiphon. You would not be able to take any more than that. So that's a hindrance. But, you know, I think that this is a rite of war that caters better towards having really cool infantry that can be scoring and troops, and and it's really flavorable to think of those those Prides of the Legion, the the first companies um, going out there and doing their thing. The big thing to point out here is the fact that um, Pride of the Legion and the Unbroken Vow are both similarly themed. Um, They are both lists that cater towards the the uh, veteran elements of your legion which are veteran squads and terminator squads the difference is in a lot of ways that um the pride of the legion actually has a lot more freedom in some different ways and gives you better scoring options there are six different hexagrammation marks that dark angels can take and you know all of the rights of war that the dark angels have have very heavy restrictions on what hexagremation marks can be taken for troops or specific model types in that uh, right of war. So everything has to be Deathwing or nearly everything has to be Firewing or whatever else. And that's not necessarily a problem depending on how you're building your army or list. But, you know, if you're playing Pride of the Legion, let's say you want to take two veteran squads and a cataphracti squad and you want them all to have swords and they're all going to be deathwing and they're all going to be just righteous awesome you know cool melee close combat knights well you can also take big blobs of tactical marines but you're not required by this right of war to make them deathwing as well and so you can make them stormwing and stormwing is much more suited i think to the general tactical squad because now you can give them plus one to hit with their bolters. And you know maybe you're planning on having those guys stand around more on objectives and shoot. The uh, The right of war, Pride of the Legion, is pretty restrictive in how you can't necessarily spam vehicles or fast attack choices. But if you're really leaning into just the veterans thing, then I think it's a, it's a really good right of war. Now, on top of that, um, when we compare it to the Unbroken Vow, and this is not a dissimilar it's it's there is a trend here when you're taking a look at the dark angels rites of war um unbroken vow gives you heart of legion and allows you to be non-scoring troops but you're you're still going to have to take tactical marines um or something else if you want to have any scoring in your list um and you're kind of being forced into just taking a ton of apothecaries probably so that you can really get the benefit out of that heart of the legion. Is that bad? No, not necessarily. But that, plus the requirement of, you know, having that extra objective in the middle, plus the fact that you don't really have as much freedom in how you want to use your Dark Angel's marks, which is one of the coolest things about the Legion, I don't know that I'd ever play the Unbroken Vow. And I feel sort of similar about a couple of the other Rites of War as well. Um, More on that to follow in an upcoming episode. So next up we have um, a guest with us today and uh, this was a recorded interview with uh, Alex from Death and Betrayal and he'll introduce himself in the segment so I won't say much more but he's a guy who's been in the system for a really long time. He's been playing heresy for a long time and he's got a lot of really insightful things to say so I felt really lucky to have him on so uh, here we go. And a big thank you to Alex uh, for joining us today. Alex of Death and Betrayal podcast fame, and also um, Crescent Edge Studio. Alex was so kind to come in today and uh, talk to us. I met Alex through Adepticon. He ran one of the events that I was trying to sign up for, um, the return to Istvan, which I unfortunately wasn't able to get into town for, but it was sounded super great. And uh, he's a super great guy. Thanks for coming on the cast, man. Welcome. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me. I, uh, I appreciate you you know reaching out and any chance I can get to talk shit about heresy I'm pretty excited about
0: yeah for sure so could you tell us I mean I think a lot of people who are established in the community have like you like me you know met you at different events or just know of you in the community or heard of your podcast but for those who are new to heresy um what's your place in the community how do you get involved and what sort of things do you do you get down to with heresy uh
1: yeah so um it's kind of a funny story how I got introduced to heresy. Um, I was, I had recently come back to the hobby. I think it was in 2011 and I was building like an old, an old way like black guardians list. Uh, so I've been narrative even like starting in my collection when I came back. Um, so it made sense that heresy was, you know, a place for me to hang my hat. Um, but uh, I moved to Edmonton from the other side of the country and didn't really know anybody. Uh, I was at a party because someone I went to high school with had recently moved to town, uh, and their roommates uh, were talking Warhammer, and so I kind of came up and they got a little quiet, and then I was like, "We talking? We talking Warhammer?" <laughs> like, and uh, and then so I ended up playing with them, and then I sort of got really into it and I wanted to kind of start upping my uh, hobby. Um, and upping my lists, and I thought bringing an avatar would be awesome, but I hated the avatar model. <laughs> so I jumped over to Fort. Like I found Forge World. I think I just googled like Avatar of Cain alternate model or something, and uh, and then found it, and and ended up ordering the uh, the one with the sword, not the spear. Right. Uh, and that was uh, I want to say like Christmas 2013, probably uh, maybe. 2014 and um, uh, so you know I I get home and I'm expecting my package to be there and I got this giant box sitting on my doorstep and I go oh crap this thing must be huge it must be like the size of a Titan Um, and I I was like man I don't know if these guys are gonna be cool with me using it then like it must be more of just like a display piece and not an actual game piece Uh, so I open the box up and it's got several Mark II tactical squads mark two command squad a whole bunch of night lords like terror squad upgrade sets uh and all this stuff that like i have no idea what it is and it's labeled like horse heresy and, <laughs> and uh so I, I sat on it for a little bit kind of mulling over like oh like you know do i want to start a chaos army because i still didn't really clue in and I ended up just like selling it pretty cheap on Kijiji because when I emailed Games Workshop to be like, hey, I think I got somebody's Christmas presents. <laughs> um, they were like, uh, yeah, that's fine. Like we already know about it. Uh, you can just keep it. What? And, uh, you know, we've already dispatched a new avatar for you. Uh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> 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 and I was like, oh, okay. And so it was probably like close to 200 pounds. like at that point like right 200 great british pounds oh, uh, at that point worth of stuff so i mean that's a few price increases ago and right before they uh, adjusted to local currencies uh and i think i sold it for like 100 or 120 bucks locally oh, um God. and uh but then i kind of started checking forage were for a little more often because i thought those models were super cool and, and then corax came out and i ended up buying like a bundle with corax and more dathan uh you know those guys with sniper rifles and yes. uh, dark furies and it came with like a dark wing pattern storm eagle and i was like oh cool and so uh i bought like book three and i just started using that with my local or you know my little garage hammer group and then um, and then uh i met craig and craig was like oh we do this like horse heresy league in town like you should you should play it because i was playing in a in a local gaming store um, we decided to upgrade from the kitchen table. My friend and I, yeah. and uh, and he's like, "Sweet, like Heresy the Raven Guard, man." And um, so uh, I signed up for this league and started playing in that, and then I just got like sucked into it. And from there, I ran, I ran uh, like a couple campaigns under the the same sort of setup as the leagues, but I added you know a ton of narrative content to it. Um, at the end of every round, I would get the highlights from everybody and like, you know, the TSN turning point moments, I call them. And I would find a way to work those into a story for the next chapter. And I think by the end it, it was something like 42 pages long. Um, and, uh, and I was real jazzed about it. So then it just continued to grow and, and snowball from there. Um, and, uh, COVID hit, and, uh, I, I started a podcast with Craig just so that we would keep the hobby juices flowing. And then I kind of fell into, uh, being the event organizer for the Las Vegas open and, um, miles from little legend Studio uh, running this, um, return to ISPAN thing. Uh, he was getting that off the ground. And so he got, he got his hooks into me pretty early about it. And we said, man, wouldn't it be awesome. If we do like return to isfan Five as an event at Adepticon, so we pitched it to Adepticon and and they were like, yeah, it sounds awesome, let's do it, let's do it at night, which I much preferred. <laughs> right. And uh, you know, it was a little more restrictive, and we treated it a little bit more like a reenactment, so there was limitations on the characters that could be there and the armies that could be there, and uh, but it to your point it went off gangbusters and from there i'm just kind of keeping that ball rolling so uh we've got a narrative experience at the las vegas open now um and and then we'll be doing another historical event series at uh which is now what i'm calling my my evening like get hammered and play heresy event <laughs> um, and uh and this year we'll be doing beta garment oh yeah uh, Yeah, so a little quick plug for that as well, actually, starting next month, uh, August, I don't know when this launches, but starting in August, um, I'm running sort of like a global campaign, I'm calling it, um, uh, because it very much is. It borrows a lot more from Corvus Belli's sort of old online campaigns that they used to do. Okay. Um, But it's a Facebook group, the Push for Beta Garmin. Uh, Go ahead and join that. You you don't have to pay anything. There's no buy-in. Um, but if you're playing a game and you're a new player and you've got a new creator, you're going to need a backstory for that guy. And so this is a great way to get a backstory for that guy, because if you're playing with your friends or if you're playing at an event or whatever, you and, and even without your opponent, if your opponent doesn't want to participate, you can still participate by entering the outcome of your game into a Google um, survey spreadsheet. Not spreadsheet, sorry, but like a Google survey. Google form. Uh, form, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, it is. There you go. And uh, that'll come to me so that way I can kind of see, like, you know, her loyalists or traders winning this phase of the campaign. And we're kind of starting from, like, right around Istvan, Prospero, all those sort of major inciting incidents that sort of kick the heresy off. Right. And so the example I'll give is, you know, Craig and I are part of the tale of heresy gamers over on Little Legend Studios blog. And so our, we've got brand new characters that don't have a backstory. So our first game in the push for beta Garmin and the Tale of Heresy Gamers is going to be uh, sort of right around the time of Istvan happening. Okay. Um, but his character, uh, and I always forget the name because it's like this long ultra-regal Emperor's children's name, <laughs> he's trying to convince my Praetor casperion from the Blood Angels to go traitor and side with the War Master. And so obviously that doesn't go well and we'll play our game, we'll record it and we'll put the bat rep up. And that's the other sort of part of the the, um, the participation in, in the event. Uh, so you submit uh, either the bat rep to me in the Google form uh, and then I'll post it for you. Uh, but I would much rather have the individual playing, post it, tag their opponent and then everyone can kind of relive your bat reps and your adventures. And then when we all see each other at next to for the fate of Beta Garmin, uh, we've all got a backstory on how our praetors and our characters and our armies got from early in the heresy to now.
0: Are there going to be any restrictions on what forces can be allowed? Are you going to adapt that as you know other new books and stuff? PDFs. No. Um, so there won't be any restrictions
1: on forces at the actual fate of Beta Garmin event. There'll be restrictions, of course, on like, like Ferris Mass can't be there because he's Because he's dead. Yep. <laughs> um, and, you know, if we know that somebody's not there, like the Lion or Goleman, then like he obviously can't be at Beta Garmin. Yeah. Um, Lehman Russ is busy getting his kicked over in Yarrant and getting his sorry butt saved by Korak. So like they're not at Beta Garmin. Right. Um, but that's not to say contingents of their legions weren't. Right. And so that's kind of the other reason why we went with Beta Garmin for this year, because it is less restrictive than Istvan 5. Um, you can have a rationale for anybody being there. Uh, so we'll we'll have it much more open. And in the push for Beta Garmin, it's, it's really sort of each phase, right? So, um, like, phase one might be, uh, you know... Um, this wouldn't be phase one, but let's say Yarrant and uh, Imperium Secundus right. and the Scouring of Nostromo might be like phase three or something because each phase will go by a month, right? So you would just say where your game took place in the Google form. Oh, I gotcha. So you'd be like, okay, well, I'm playing Space Wolves and so I wanted to play Yarrant because my buddy plays the Sons of Horus. So, uh, you know, Lehman Russ just attempted to assassinate Horus and... Now we're fighting for survival on Yarrant. Right. And so you put in Space Wolves, you put in, and it's all this is very like, easily laid out in the form. Right. Like I played Space Wolves, my opponent played um, Sons of Horus. We played on Yarrant because it's phase three. And then you can tell me the mission, but really it's. It doesn't matter so much. It's going to be did you win, lose, or tie? Right. Right. And then uh, that will work into my formula for. Okay, like the Wolves and the Loyalists lost Yerrant, so that part falls to the, the traders And then um, I'm trying to get a little excuse to use my Photoshop. So my Photoshop will uh, <laughs> basically change the map every phase so you can see, not quite in real time, but you can see the war lines changing and the territories changing hands. Yeah, that's, that's, that's um, a great idea. And so this is starting up in August? Yeah, so this will be starting in August. So, again, like, you know, it's not something that, like, okay, I got to play this phase. Like, you could play in August, and then maybe if September is like your super busy time for work because you're a teacher and you're getting everything set up, so you don't have time to do any gaming, you don't have to participate in that phase. It's kind of participate as you want, as you feel like it. And it's just to drive the story and give a little more narrative framing to the games that we're playing.
0: Yeah, this is cool because you and I had been talking about this on and off for like, honestly since Adepticon and I'm glad to hear you've got it all like pretty much put together now. And something that people who listen to this podcast will know is that I've talked before about finding really interesting narrative reasons to push the crunch of your list um, beyond just, you know, obviously like the, the functionality of certain choices in what we're going to be, you know, like for example, we're going to talk about the recon squad in a second uh, mm-hmm. You're finding those fluffy reasons to put things in one way or the other, but it's definitely, I think, valuable no matter what to build that narrative. If you've got a praetor, name that praetor and come up with a story and like how they play. It just makes the whole thing more fun. And you get those grudge matches going against your friends like, oh, that sergeant killed my, you know, land raider last time, so I'm going to mess that dude up this time. It's just, it's just. The best of what heresy is, in my opinion, and one of the reasons why I always recommend heresy to gamers over something like Forty K, which doesn't seem to have that unifying um, narrative. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it gives us not it gives us a simultaneously
1: infinite and finite space, <laughs> which makes it easy to create a character, and then you can role play yourself as that traitor. So I'd encourage you, especially if you're new to the game system, once you've got like an attitude and um, like a backstory and a personality for that Praetor, play as if you're that person down on the, on the ground, um, fighting that battle, leading those troops. And I think you'll find you, I I can't guarantee it obviously, but for me, it gives me like a lot more enjoyment because it, it, it sort of creates a little bit of challenge, but it creates such a degree of immersion. Uh, and I'll, there's an example I always point to. A friend of mine was playing um, his Emperor's Children versus uh, Salamander's player, and um, he had uh, he had Eidolon on the table, and so he was playing as if he was role-playing Eidolon. Right. And so you know he's explaining it to this guy because this guy's kind of new and still plays very like okay, well. If I do this, I'm gonna win, right? Um, or I'm gonna beat you. Uh, I'll say. And he's like, okay. Well, he's like, if I he's like, if I was looking at this in terms of game terms, he's like, then Idolon in this unit would fully go after this squad because that's gonna more or less guarantee me that I'm gonna I'm gonna win. I may not win if I go after your warlord who's like protected by a bunch of fire drakes. But Idolon's going. Idolon would yeah. go after the warlord. Exactly. No, uh, I he's going playing... to go for the duel. He's going to go for the glory. He doesn't care if it's going to cost him more lives or not. So he'll go for it. And so he explained that, and then proceeded to do that, and then proceeded to lose the game as a result. So it's not that he was actively trying to lose, but he was playing to the character on the table, who then caused his forces to lose.
0: Yeah, out but... of personal pride. A friend of mine uh, plays Dark Angels. He actually, I don't, I don't know, you might have met him. He came to Adepticon. It was his first real heresy thing. Um, mm-hmm. He's got this beautiful Dark Angels army, and I've decided with the new box that I'm going to do Traitor Dark Angels. So yeah. we were playtesting rules for Luther, and um, he has the lion, and so we played played out Dark Angels versus Dark Angels, and you know he was talking about, I wonder where the lion's going to go, and I was like, you know where the lion's going to go he's going to come after luther and you know my friends like yeah of course he is and so you know we just played it out exactly as narratively it should play like those two have to fight it has to happen and it was way more yeah. fun and our game ended essentially actually with a uh, deep striking leviathan exploding and taking uh same side uh friendly firing the lion's last wound um oh. so, <laughs> yeah it was i mean it yeah. was a it was a wacky game i I, don't know, I think I think I'm going to talk about that later on in this episode after this call's done. But like, okay. a highlight was that um, we failed collectively. Uh, I think eleven, the 11 first leadership and uh, pinning tests. Like it oh. was it it was an <laughs> absolute disaster of a game. It was fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, that's awesome. So anyway, let's let's talk about the recon squad though, if we could. Yeah. Uh, so this. Um, The series, this is the last series, the last in a series, where I'm covering all of the different squads and their abilities um to interact with the scoring mechanic. So in this game, you know, line is necessary as it's the it's the keyword that allows you to hold objectives. And there are a certain number of units that any Legion can access that have line. And there's very few of them this edition, considerably less. So veterans will be Scrambling a little bit, maybe, to try to find ways to get scoring onto the table. But let's talk about the recon squad. And yeah. I, I, a little teaser. I'll, I'll read off the stats here. I think we saved the best for last. So the the recon squad's eighty-five points base for five models. It's got the standard stat lines: uh, weapon skill, ballistic skill, strength, toughness, initiative four, one wound, one attack, leadership seven, and a three plus save. And just like all the others. Um, a sergeant gives you one more leadership and one more attack. The base unit is only five models for those eighty-five points. You get a bolter, a bolt pistol, the grenades that you lo- that you know and love, shroud bombs, which have a unique defensive ability to count you as six inches farther away for shooting, which can be very good. They do come mm-hmm. with power armor. Um, they do have line. And the the, uh, types are infantry, skirmish, which means they can space out more. Uh, It's three inches for squad coherency. Three inches, yeah. Say what? It is three inches. Yeah, yeah. three inches, yeah. And the special rules are, of course, legionis astardis, scout, infiltrate, and support squad. Support squad meaning that when you fill up your force organization chart, you are gonna have to fill compulsory troop choices. These cannot be those. So you're probably still going to have to take two units of uh, tactical marines to spoilers um, or something else. Honestly, I mean you could take anything though. You could take a non-scoring compulsory choice depending on your right of war. But you can well, take
1: and you can take recons as compulsory troops in the recon Correct. right of war. There is the recon, recon right of something. war, uh, yep. which I which I mean they have line, but. Then they become compulsory troops.
0: Correct. So you have to take two, two squads of them. So these, um, they can take a Rhino for a transport or a Storm Eagle gunship as a dedicated transport, which is hilarious to me. Uh, you can, for 12 points of model, you can get up to five additional recon marines. Anyone can upgrade their bolter with a bayonet for one point, a chain bayonet for two points. So exactly the same as what was talked about a couple episodes ago with tactical marines. But then there's some other interesting choices. Any model in the squad can take a Nemesis Bolter for 10 points each. They can also (laughs) take an Astartis Shotgun for free or a Chainsword for free. So let's just stop there and talk a little bit about that. This alone makes them a very interesting and different option. Um, How are you thinking about running your Recon Marines, Alex? so in the blood
1: angels uh they're going to be with nemesis bolters right um, and the main reason for that is number one you can take you can take the guy out of the raven guard but you can't take the raven guard out of the guy i guess because <laughs> um, i used to run the recon company right away for my raven guard wow so i've been using recon marines for a long time um even when they were bad <laughs> and uh So in my blood angels, they have nemesis bolters and my theme for the blood angels is largely drawing on the sack of Rome and the Swiss guard, the stand of the Swiss guard at the sack of Rome. So while yes, Swiss guard typically used pole arms and swords and things like that, they would have had crossbowmen as well and archers as well, which means there would have been a space for sharpshooters to watch over the general combat infantry. And so they're really in there to fill that role. Um, and because I just love them. Uh, within the Raven Guard, I usually ran them a little bit differently, actually. I ran them with bolters, okay. Um, because uh, the Recon Marines in Power Armor did not have Infiltrate unless you were Raven Guard or Alpha Legion in 1.0. Mm-hmm. So it kind of allowed me to Infiltrate but then also get a Scout move if I needed it. And, uh, and then the Shroud Bombs actually protected me a little bit against charges because they functioned differently in 1st edition to 2nd right. edition. Right. Uh, the fact that they count 6 inches further away for shooting I really like, but that also means that you can do some pretty nifty playing uh, with those units even if you just took them with a Bolter or if, say, you're maybe a Space Wolf or a World Leaders player take them with the chainsword instead of the bolter, and then you can change that out for either a axe or a axe. Right. And now you've got some infiltrating folks that are up front. They count as six inches further away for shooting, so you can stay at a rapid-fire range. But a lot of these, you know, something that I think we have to take into consideration is now the Z-axis when we're looking at units here, and that's the reaction potential. Yes. So both world leaders and— um, Space Wolves, and even Blood Angels to an extent, I think could benefit from having a close combat recon squad, Mm -hmm. will allow you to create a scenario where you maybe get a turn one or a turn two charge off uh, with a unit that's pretty decent. And if you're scoring every round, you can plop that recon squad down on uh, an objective that's further up because of their infiltrate, and then you can use that to continually
0: score until they get close enough that you can charge them. Yeah, there will be missions. There is at least one mission in the main book and there will be other missions as people start to you know build things for events where you score on, on the objective right away. And so having yeah. infiltrate is really, really powerful because if you manage to have, like let's say you, you buy two of these squads and there are two free objectives, there are some games where a two point lead Um, is really hard for your opponent to come back from and really allows you a cushion as you're playing. Yeah, uh, 100%.
1: Um, And, uh, you know, in 1.0, that's how I won a lot of my games, uh, was scoring early or controlling more objectives early. Um, And that was the only thing that kind of carried me through, right? Because I didn't necessarily have the staying power, but I could strike early, score early, and then it's really... Uh, you know a case of hold the line until reinforcements get there so, um I'm very just, sort of ravenguardy but
0: uh yeah quick question something i was just thinking of um the reactions that you were just talking about the ch- turn one charges infiltrate and scout don't they both have restrictions on charging in the first turn they do but that doesn't preclude reactions it doesn't preclude re- it's it say in the charge phase they can't charge that's right. Ooh.
1: So, like, you can't make a charge move, but, you, like, you're making a reaction. And then the reaction has a subset of moves underneath it. So mm-hmm. your actual thing is the reaction, right? It doesn't... Nowhere does it say that, you know, you've infiltrated, so you lose the ability to make any reactions
0: that have a charge with them. Right. Yeah,
1: so that'd you be interesting can still The wording there, out. that's
0: that's tricky. That's interesting. But, mm-hmm. the, but yeah, it potentially but super powerful. Also, you're probably
1: only going to be able to do it with one unit. Right. So think about it. And you're probably, realistically, if you play with the same, like, say, five guys, you're only going to get away with that probably once or twice. (laughs) Um, And then people are going to be like, all right, like, watch out for his recon squad because Dave likes to dick you with it. Yep. Um, (laughs) And then they're just, they're going to focus that recon squad first. Right. But then your recon squad, which is already pretty cheap if you took Chainswords, um, it's 85 points for five guys you've now got a situation where you're still controlling the flow of the battle, even though you're giving up a unit. Right. So you're basically paying 85 points to predict what your opponent's going to do. And while he's busy trying to worry about your like one bullet 85 point squad, um, then you can outflank him or outmaneuver him or outscore him or set up, set up a trap for him as
0: well. Right. Um, well, and, and that's actually, it's funny that you should say that. So 85 points is the base for this squad, and you can give them all Chainswords, if, especially if you're one of those melee legions, and just hop in. But there are other options that you might consider taking as well, even on that melee squad. So one of the things I've noticed here, and I didn't get to mention it yet, is the fact that the entire squad can take bombs for 5 points a model, which mm-hmm. is really heavily restricted now. Lots of units used to be able to take... Um, used to be able to take melted bombs but it not very many do anymore so the fact that you can yep. infiltrate with these they've got some defensive cover with those shroud bombs or whatever else you could also just put these put these dudes just off to the side someplace and then try to get a cheeky se- uh, second turn charge onto a dreadnought or a uh um, a tank you know or something yeah now bombs are, um, are probably even got better your this robot issue, there. I
1: don't but I know infiltrate used to give you outflank as a rule. Oh, yeah. No, does bolts... infiltrate still give you outflank as a rule? Correct.
0: Bolt? Yeah, these can join an so outflank. It this... still does in this edition? These can, these can join a outflanking strike. So if you do yeah. have, like, for example, these would be really interesting with um, White Scars or any mm-hmm. other legion that wants to put a fair amount uh, into an outflank. But, yes, these squads could come out of reserves, charge onto a back line into some tanks it's definitely possible so again <laughs> lots of options so i we haven't specifically addressed it so let's go back and talk about the nemesis bolter for a second um yeah. because this is this is an important part to understanding um the power of the recon squad so the first several examples we've gone for you know talking about the close combat ability the ability to tie up units and control the, the phase of the game, the ability to apply melt bombs, which is not so common anymore. Um, we didn't even talk about the Astartis Shotgun, which we'll need to. Um, but let's talk about the Nemesis Bolter first. Now, this is a plus 10 points per model upgrade. But the Nemesis mm-hmm. Bolter is a 72-inch range, strength 5, um, heavy 1, pinning, rending 5+. plus. Yeah. Now, it is also a sniper rifle, okay, which means that it immediately applies precision strikes. So, yeah, precision shot. Precision e- shots, e- each, yes.
1: Each shot now. You no longer have to roll a six for it.
0: Yes, each shot. Now, not only is that just way better, but also because of the way the rules are written for the allocation of these shots, the way this works is I've got a recon squad. And I'm going to shoot at your tactical squad. And I roll my five shots. Let's say four of them or three of them hit. Um, And then I've got my three. And because it's a sniper rifle, I can allocate each one of them. Now, you can allocate each of them independently of each other, one at a time. So my Mm -hmm. first dice, I can say, I'm going to shoot your sergeant. And I can roll. And I successfully wound. And maybe I even rend. Now rending in this edition is interesting because not only does the rend go off at an AP two, but it also automatically wounds. Which means that Nemesis Bolters are actually not even so terrible at peeling individual wounds off dreadnoughts, because it auto- right. it automatically wounds on a five or a six.
1: Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily focus those shots on a dreadnought because no. you're going to lose the effect of pinning. Right. But um, and you you may be right on rules that's written that way. I I don't play it that way because I've played a few games with them. Um, I'll roll all of my shots if I've got four hits. I'll allocate my shots.
0: Oh, you do uh, you do it and, that way?
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, there's a few reasons for that. One is it's faster. Yes. Um, and I'm big on speed. And two, <laughs> uh, to me, it makes a little bit more sense that they would have been choosing their shots. Um, and all shooting at the same time, right? So they would have said something like, okay, uh, you know, Scott, <laughs> you shoot for the apothecary. Right. Um, and uh, him, Scott. David, back him up on that, because we need that guy dead. I'll shoot for the sergeant. Uh, um, you know, Greg and uh, Chadley, like, shoot at will.
0: <laughs> Chadley misses, um, for sure.
1: Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, and so then they can, they can shoot at whoever, yep. right? So but typically, um, if I know that there's like been a particularly tricky apothecary where I know I'm about to charge that squad, and I've got five shots, and there's a sergeant with something that I'm scared of in there, then I may just, as I'm shaking the dice, I may go, I'm, all of them are shooting at your sergeant. Sure. And then roll the dice, and then be like, okay, I got like three rendings through, so uh, he's dead. Well, um, and I mean, and then take your pinning check. Right? All uh, of these,
0: yeah. All of these squads are going to have likely. I mean, you're probably going to have a sergeant, and uh, when you're going to cause a pinning test if you get a kill. If you manage to kill the sergeant and remove their higher leadership, that's a double, double whammy on that squad. Killing the apothecary yep. obviously is fantastic for preventing feel no pains, and then um, there's other things like there's special weapons or you know there's vexillas or augury scanners. You know, if you can target them, you can remove some of that effectiveness. It makes them really, really really strong. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I, I really like it because the recon squad really just, even in its inclusion and its options, adds such a layer of tactical depth to the game that just didn't exist there before. Yes. Especially when you multiply that with the matrix of all the other things that can happen here, like reactions. Right. For example. So I played a game against Alpha Legion. I used my recon team to pin... Headhunter squad, which would be a really nasty reaction. As I'm about to charge into it, pinned it and then charged it with my Praetor and his assault Marines. Right. Um, yeah. And then for ran over that that really killer unit like a steam, like like a truck. Yeah. Basically. For, um, for
0: clarification, just pinning does negate the ability to react to things. So, like it I does. Mean, yes. Probably implied, and a lot of you, a lot of you listeners, probably already know that. But just to point out the effectiveness. Pinning prevents certain units from being able to interact at all with the board, which is super strong.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there's a few other ways to get that,
0: uh, which I'm sure you've talked about, yep with the rotor cannon. Yep. Well, we, yeah, we we actually I actually skipped over the tactical support squad because it was just talking. Oh, about because there's no line, right? Yeah, because there's okay. no line. Well, there. spoiler alert for a future series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No. And actually, you know, it's funny. I um, I actually included, I used the ten-man rotor squad, in uh, in that Dark Angels versus Dark Angels game, and it was good, um, especially with some of the bonuses because I was playing Firewing, uh, with hits into oh. wounds. But
1: okay. um, I know it's it's a little bit of a divergent topic, but not terribly because we're talking Nemesis Bolters. Yeah. Uh,
0: do you have a veteran squad in your Firewing? Um, I do. Oh, well, I've gotten the models for it. I haven't decided what to do with them. Why? Uh, Because your
1: fire wing gives you your, like, you can select your preferred dudes. Correct. With your preferred targets, which gives you plus one to hit them. Yes. uh, In both shooting and in close combat. Correct. And veterans are weapon skill 5, ballistic skill 4, relentless, and can take nemesis bolters.
0: Yeah, so they're running and popping off those nemesis bolters.
1: Yeah, they're running, popping off those shots, and they're effectively ballistic skill 5 against that unit that you're trying to get. Right. But if you really beef them up, even with a close combat weapon, then they can pin that unit. They're relentless, so they can still charge even after shooting a heavy weapon. Right. And then you can get in there, and you'll hit them on twos.
0: Right. Uh, if it's a weapon skill for a unit. Right. Still, it's a, Yeah, it's a hilarious group of overlapping combination. I was actually, that's actually something we're going to talk about the relentless rule in another episode. Because there's so many things that can take a nemesis bolter and have relentless. So it's just yeah. like, it's like, um, I don't know, it's like COD in here with like the 360 no scopes. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh,
1: I'm, I'm planning to add at least one of those units to my Alpha Legion. Yeah. Uh, just because it takes me back to the days of like playing Rust. <laughs> um, modern warfare too uh, it's just running in a circle with the bolt action sniper rifle yeah uh,
0: so let me let me cover let me cover the rest of the options here for the yeah. squad really fast um so like all the other squads they take they can take vexillas a nuncio vox or an Augury scanner at 10 points a piece um maybe I, I think the augury scanner is a no-brainer um if you're if you're running nemesis Bolters because um the nemesis boulder is at such a huge range that they they will get a chance to shoot at almost anything they have line of sight to. Um, mm-hmm. And with those precision shots, I mean, you know, you're know, deep striking assault squad. Why wouldn't I try to take out your sergeant as they're coming up out of orbit? Um, the sergeant can take Magni or Minor com- magna or minor combi weapons at plus 10 points yeah. or plus 5 points. Uh, they can take a, a chainsword for 5 points. Um, which is in, in addition to other things, um, they can take <laughs> a power weapon for plus ten, a power fist for fifteen, a lightning claw for fifteen, or a hand flamer for two points, plasma pistol for ten, and then a volkite serpenta for five. The the thing about this squad, the, the rest of those options are pretty pretty boilerplate. The thing that's absolutely wacky to me about this squad, and we and you know I think I've already said it. This squad can do so many things. Um, A tactical squad is, by and large, going to do one thing. Um, Mm -hmm. The recon squad can be equipped. It's going to shoot it's going to sit on an objective. It's going to stand on an objective and it's going to try not to die and it's going to probably do that job pretty well. recon squad, you can have four of these doing different things, very Mm -hmm. different roles in the battlefield, which is just crazy to me.
1: Well, to me, it makes a lot of sense, right? Especially people the parallel to like modern fighting forces. Correct. And I'll use yours as an example because you're American, um, and probably most of your listeners are. Like Marines, the Marines, the U.S. Marines has Marine Force Recon, which is kind of considered an elite unit within inside the Marine Corps. So, right. wouldn't it make sense that your standard Space Marines would have like a Marine Force Recon that's maybe a little more elite? Right, like you absolutely. know, they're not on the level of like a Navy SEAL, but they're still up there. Like they're considered an elite unit that is pretty skilled, pretty uh, you know, probably versed in sharpshooting, versed in sabotage tactics, right? No, I, etc. And so, like, I, I think this unit really fits the role of a recon marine. Whereas previously, the recon marine and the scout marine were both kind of the same entry. Right, and they always sort of felt like neophytes, but not neophytes. Yeah, that made sense. Yep, um, which especially didn't make sense because very much in the heresy, like you exit training and you go into the tactical line.
0: Yes. Yeah, no, this makes sense. They have, yeah, they've got all of these. They've got these different rules. The scout allowing them to reposition after the game starts if you want them to um, infiltrate. You know, so they can set up anywhere in no man's land on an objective those abilities together they can they can outflank you know um they have this shroud bombs these shroud bombs which are just so effective at providing additional uh defensive bumps six Mm -hmm. inches doesn't sound like a lot as far as that extra distance but it means so much right yeah
1: add that to an alpha Legionnaire
0: army as well and that's eight inches Oh right, because the alpha legion automatically counts as two inches farther. Yeah, that's absurd. Yeah, yeah. Absurd. So you could even if you took, say, bolters,
1: and I'm not sure if the alpha legion can upgrade uh, their regular bolters with Bane strike, but um, let's, for the sake of argument, say that they can because I don't have the book with me. Fair enough. Um, and uh, it's because GW hasn't shipped Craig's order yet, which he pre-ordered like when the pre-order came up. Oh, that's right. Uh, so I, I lent him uh, my trader book, um, but let's say that they can, uh, you could like be outside of the 12 inch range of a bolt pistol and still be like, like you know, effectively, but still be in like rapid fire range yeah. <laughs> um, for yourself. Like, right. It's a, it's, a, it's pretty handy um, and you can set up some fun traps. Yeah. With uh with recon marines, which has always kind of been my playstyle. I try to pull you into a trap and then
0: get you. Gosh, you're gonna make your opponent um, do so much math. Sorry. I said you're gonna make your opponent do so much math.
1: Yeah, well I mean that's good. You know, you can yeah. help them prevent the development of uh what is it? Um Alzheimer's.
0: Yeah, there you go. It's for your health. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, it's good for your opponent and good for your game. <laughs>
0: um, I think I could see I could see everyone running one of these squads in their legion. I think there's a spot for this unit, one of, in every legion list, potentially. Um, Just because of of the versatility of it. If you want to stand back, if you just want to hold objectives, if you want to push early for territory, um, you want to threaten tanks, you want to do... I mean, just there are so many different things they can do. The recon squad is uh, a really good answer for almost any basic problem. Would you agree?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think you'll see players either take these guys with Nemesis Bolters,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or they'll take a squad of tactical support Marines with Rotor Cannons.
0: You uh, think you see that? You th- that's gonna. be I, pretty I think constant. you may
1: even see people try both. I think you may see them start with the Recons, and then if it's really not fitting with the rest of what they're trying to do,
0: yeah.
1: Um, then I think you'll see them swap them out because uh, they're they're gonna want that pinning. Yeah, like, pinning is very much a an important part of of this edition. And I'm, I'm happy about that, like, because it was such a rare occurrence that it almost felt like, man, why even have the rule? Like, I think I can count the amount of pinning checks I took in one first edition on one hand.
0: Yeah, I primarily um, played I primarily played Iron Warriors, so I didn't even really know the rules for leadership on shooting attacks because it just mm-hmm. didn't it, it actually never mattered, almost never mattered for me
1: yeah yeah i mean like they were pretty much normal but i think all of mine my, my pinning checks actually came from like being in a vehicle that got wrecked or exploded right right, right. and would be like oh pinning check and i think i failed once yeah and it's like okay well as i said um, I, I, yeah like it doesn't make sense why they would be disrupted by like you know the rhino breaking down and be like okay everybody get out <laughs> but they're, they're not disrupted by you know a, a thousand suns support squad with aspect shells like right. raining, you know, thirty shots down on them. There's like,
0: oh whatever, man, I got like Sarge's here, broken. Okay. Um, we got this we got this little banner. We're all right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, um do
1: so, you Yeah, on that note I don't think I'd take a Vexilla on these guys. Okay. Um as, as much as I love the Vexilla and I love modeling it. Like mm-hmm. it's a five man squad. Yeah. If you're moving them up close, maybe, but I also just, I have a hard time. It's a big reason why I never made a command squad for my graven Guard. It's like, I have a hard time imagining someone sneaking in with like an extra <laughs> banner old, yeah. the size of a regular sized person. Right. Like strapped to their back. Um, They're probably not sneaking anywhere with that. Right. Uh. So I don't know. It bugs me.
0: Sorry, yeah, I'm I mean, I would I would consider modeling a Vexilla as something different um, if you wanted to put them on this squad, um, for sure. However, I would point out that, you know, if you end up putting these guys in your backline and, you know, you're just hoping to be support shooting, and if you are deployed in your own, you know, leaving them in your deployment zone, um, you're one failed leadership test and one bad run roll away from just having losing one model, but having the whole five walk off the board. So, I mean, y-
1: yes, you're not wrong, mm-hmm. but you're probably going to put them up in a building. So, you know, they'll have to go
0: down first. Oh, that's true. Take some of that movement. Yeah, if you can put them up someplace, that will help that a little bit too. That's true.
1: Yeah. Um, and second, like, if they are taking a shot like that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you're probably not in a good way anyway. So is it worth, like, adding another 10 points to a unit that's already... This point, like 150 points, around about for what is what is effectively only five shots. Like, don't forget about that. Like, yeah pinning is good, but you really need to get those rims Yes. More often than not, and then you need them to fail the pinning check too to really get everything that you're trying to get out of like the sniper recon ring. Right. Um, and and for me, like with with most support teams in general, I just don't tend to put um. Vexillas on them. Like I don't consider my Recon Marines to, and I don't really usually expect them to survive the length of the game. Got it. Because I'm usually trying to create some point of what I call aggro with them while getting as much out of them as I can. Right. And then it allows me to sort of dictate my opponent's movement a little bit because they're going to be so pissed or overthreatened by this five man unit that it is going to get some degree of focus And because you're infiltrating, you can place that thing down last. So you can really dictate what unit is gonna sort of focus on trying to get rid of those guys.
0: Uh, To a degree, of course. Well, and they do have a 72 inch range with those nemesis bolters. So Mm -hmm. line of sight is the limiting factor by and large. They
1: do, but I think out of the probably five or six games I've played at this edition, I've put them in my deployment zone once. Oh yeah. Yeah, otherwise, like, I'll infiltrate them, right? Because, like, yeah, they they do a 72-inch range, right? Like, you can put them at the back line and shoot over, like, particularly if you're trying to take, like, a defensive position or something like that. So I'll probably often run them that way in my Blood Angels. But um, at the same time, like, if you can put them over towards your enemy's deployment zone, like, off to the right-hand side, and you're 18 inches away from them, or whatever. And then you can start getting them antsy about that. Particularly if you got an unseal Vox and some deep strikers. Right. Then they might they might really worry about that. And then you can kind of pull them in the direction you want. And I did this with my raven guard, sort of pull pull them in the direction you want, and then drop your assault marines behind them, and you've got them pinched, but not pinched like amazingly. But it's enough that they're like, oh, I'm going to be worried about that. And it's a bit of a risk because you're kind of, you know, using the non box for nothing, if, especially if you're dropping outside of six inches. But right. the deep strike rules are pretty good. Like, if you fail it, it's kind of, you know, your chances of failing it aren't great. That's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Um, and then, bang, you land. You can kind of start making some moves, but you've, you've, you've upped like the real value of that unit and you've taken the value of that unit beyond just points per output. Right. um, by doing that. And so it you know, I I know this was something that I struggled with a lot when I first started playing is I wanted everybody to survive. Right. (laughs) Like and that's not a realistic outcome. So instead you have to think about what can I sacrifice and how can I get the most out of that sacrifice? So that that tends to be how I think about a lot of my units. Instead of like what can I get out of them while they're alive, I try to think about what can I get out of them dead.
0: Right. Well, and I mean that's the th- yeah. If you're if this eighty-five or one hundred and thirty-five point unit, hundred and fifty-ish with a little upgrade, if it takes shooting from you know a two hundred point unit twice to knock it down, then that's a really yeah. good value you've gotten. Conversely, though, what what do you think the point value is on a pin, you know, like taking one unit essentially out of the game for a turn?
1: Uh, I mean, it's situational, really. Yeah. Because what do you do do with that unit once it's pinned? Are you just slowing it? Right. Um, Because chances are they're going to recover in the next round anyway. Right. Then you have to do the same thing, which already, you know, it, it isn't, it's not a guaranteed thing. No. Um. I think, you know, I think in a game where I had a squad around for the whole game, they do take losses, um, but, and so their, their efficacy and their, their chances at pinning go down realistically every turn. Right. Um, so your chances of getting a rend through and your chances of getting a wound through, uh, which is unsaved, and then them failing the pinning check. Right. Kind of becomes like an an ever challenging goal to accomplish. Right. So, you know, what do you do with that once they're pinned? If if you've got them in your back line, and you pin the tactical squad, that's kind of up front for turn one, and then you don't pin anything else again. What was really the value of that pinning if you didn't deep strike something and charge into it? Right. So maybe if you're an imperial fist player and you're just playing a gun line and you're trying to slow them down then that value might be different to, say, someone like me who's trying to pin them so that I can charge them with another Blood Angel squad. Right. With a Blood Angels tactile squad or something. Or like, um, you know, the
0: Night Lords who have rules synergy specifically for charging units that are pinned or falling back and they get, get yeah, additional yeah, tax or exactly, additional charge right? so the yeah.
1: You know, if you want to try to convert the value of that to a point, right. I, don't know the, I don't know that I could do it. <laughs> um, but that's... You know that's where i kind of try to talk about like CD the alternate value instead of the points per output right because it's, it's not really falling within the points per output because you're relying on other things that you paid points for to maximize the value of it um and so craig and i did a few episodes on this um called like underutilized le- um underutilized units of allegiance mm-hmm. And so it was like, okay, a unit that you know traditionally has been looked at as garbage because it only does X amount, what can we do? How can you use it to get more out of it, right? And maybe that's using it to set up a trap, using it as bait. Or yeah. maybe instead of like, hey, it's a tank, so I should send it after other tanks. Maybe instead outflank it and have it like chew up the backline infantry. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's a predator. The auto cannon sucks. Why would I take that? Well, you're going to take it because you're going to drive it into the back line and worry everybody about it. You use that 65-point model. I don't know what it is in this edition. It's but like 120 then, now. Yeah, okay. So back then it was like 65 points. Like, you can go flat out and just rush it at something, and now all of a sudden he's distracted and worried. Right. And you're controlling the situation and you're forcing him to make choices, and all of those... You know, you could say have a points value to them. Yeah. But it's a points value that's not held within the unit. Right. Um, and it's a points value that I would argue the unit didn't bring. You did.
0: And we're getting into the weeds here. Like, I mean, th- th- this is a pretty deep well, that's theory. that's your fault because you invited me on here. So, well, say what? <laughs> it's my fault? Yeah. No, no it's so fine. that's your fault because you invited <laughs> me on here. No, this is good <laughs> stuff. And this is good stuff for people to listen, <laughs> listen to and to think about. Um, but the really exciting thing is, not only do you have, like, your skill as a player obviously impacts the way you use the units, but this unit to start with has tons of different options to allow you those choices. Um, exactly.
1: And that's why I'm saying, like, I don't think you can put, like, an extraneous point value to it. Right. right. Because it's going to be on how you use it. Right. Like, if you take it just as a base 85 points, and all you do is infiltrate it and have it sit on an objective the whole game. Yeah, you probably got eighty-five points out of it. But if you, you know, swap the bolters for close combat weapons and you set it up there as a trap, right? Um, and the guy doesn't know about it or doesn't think about it or he's not worried about it. Now all of a sudden, he's got a tactical squad that's tied up for two or three rounds mm-hmm. of combat while you chew through it. Or better yet, like you win combat and he fails, and then you sweep him, right? Because uh, you used your reaction really effectively. Like then. I mean, arguably, you got way more than eighty-five points out of that. Particularly, yeah. if say you butchered a hundred and twenty-point tactical squad, um, then you know, even just on that math alone, that's a good trade. But yeah. I'd argue that your value, like the the points dichotomy between what you paid and what you
0: got, is probably different than just one hundred twenty-five points minus eighty-five. Agreed. So let's let's talk a little bit about how we would put these into a list then. Like I mean you you know Raven Guard, and as you said, it bleeds into even some of your other choices. How would you design or how have you used these um, in this edition so far? Um Yeah, so I, I didn't run the recon right uh,
1: this time, because I used two assault squads, so I filled my con troops, and so I was able to use my decapitation strike. Okay. But then I did take a few more um Recon squads, which I took them really for melt bombs. Okay. Because the regular Raven Guard infantry can still infiltrate. right? Um, and then I tried, I took a squad of the snipers as well and used those for pinning. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that way I could pin the squads that I need to charge. And I did the same sort of thing against the Alpha Legion, like same sort of deal. Yeah. Um, but uh, the ones that were on foot with melt bombs, I gave bolters to. Okay. Because uh, even though they didn't have Fury of, the, Fury of the Legion, they can still shoot and they can still react. And they have shroud bombs, so you know I'm I'm a little bit closer, but now I I'm in your rapid. Sorry, you're in my rapid fire range, but I'm not in yours. Exactly. Right. And that that has a bit of a defensive kick too. So now all of a sudden, the ten man recon team is to a degree outperforming the tactical squad, uh, which makes sense because I think it's more expensive than a tactical squad when you bump it up to ten men. It is, um, but then I've got melta bombs uh, in case I'm, you know, as worried about a contemptor or something. But um, in the case of contemptors, a bombs aren't as effective because you're hitting on fives, right? Um, and they they have their save, and uh, you know the armor bane doesn't really do anything for you. Um, you get to reroll. You get to reroll the wounds. But... You get to reroll the wound basically. Yeah. Like, and it say, does have instant I mean, yeah, death. If you get it through. You're you're probably going to get a wound on him. Probably, yep. yep. Um, but you also have to be able to like get your guy in line, and I, I don't know. I, I didn't find it as as effective.
0: No. If I
1: was playing against more vehicles, I think I probably would have. Yes. Um. But it, for the same sort of reason, right? And then you you infiltrate those guys up close, and you start popping vehicles, transports in particular, expose the fleshy guys inside, and then do your drop assault and charge into decap strike,
0: and hopefully chew some guys up. So to talk about the Decapitation Strike, this is a Raven Guard Rite of War, and um, it has three benefits, which I'm going to read now for the listeners. Mm -hmm. All models um, with a Raven Guard rule um, gain preferred enemy independent characters. All models from this detachment assigned to a deep strike assault or flanking assault gain shrouded 5 plus for the duration of the game turn in which they are deployed. And then in missions that use victory points and army gains an additional two points for Slay the Warlord. So the independent, one of the things that I've talked about in other episodes is that concept of synergy. And so here, the Raven Guard, there's an additional bit of synergy with that preferred enemy uh, independent characters and these uh, snipers, sniper marines. So So typically what I would do is I wouldn't allocate those
1: shots against the Praetor or whoever's in the unit. Right. I would allocate them against other regular guys that are easier to kill. Right. Um, and try to force the pinning check, because he still might fail it. I know it's like, you know, a 9 or a 10, but he still might fail. Right. Um, and the hope is to pin a, pin that unit so that it can't react to my Praetor swinging in,
0: Right. So the uh, that is one thing that's sort of counterintuitive, is that you might see the sniper and think you want to actually shoot your friend's character or multi-wound model or whatever else. But in practicality, it's probably better to, like, um, like Alex just said, kill the sergeant or kill you know, an apothecary or someone else, a Vaxilla, uh, because that will have more immediate effect. They lose a model and you force the pinning check. So you really have to think with this unit, like it's, it's not gonna just wipe, it's not gonna wipe your opponent, the, the Recon Squad, but it is going to give you tactical options if you play smart.
1: Yeah, exactly, because it's probably not gonna force anyone to run away. Right. It's gonna force them to hold them in place. And yep. then you have to decide what to do with them after they're
0: in place. Exactly. Yep. All right, Um. that's about our time. Do you have anything? Oh, remind us of the Facebook group, please. Uh
1: yeah, so uh, the Facebook group for the campaign is yes. the push for beta garmin. Yes. Um uh I don't know if you'll have a link in the show notes or not. But I will if you give me can uh, you send me one, I will. You just yeah, sure, I'll send you one. Um just Facebook uh push for the push for beta garmin. Okay. Um and it'll pop up. It'll come up. Like there's it's not there's not a lot <laughs> for that search. Um and, uh, and then, yeah, if, if you're into it, participate as little or as much as you like. like. Um, it's just to help us all sort of generate new characters. I and mean, Craig and I, we've got these new praetors. And I spoke to you quite a bit about this. It just, it all seemed like a way to expand what, you know, I wanted to get out of it and give the option to a bunch of people. Absolutely. Um, to participate and sort of, you know, quote unquote, grow this community. Yeah. Um, and, and get some, some buy-in. Yeah, and, I think uh, I think I'm gonna get my and then, yeah, uh, check check us out for the podcast, the Death and Betrayal
0: Podcast. Mm-hmm.
1: Um we're which, available everywhere podcasts are listened to.
0: Which I will also put a note in the show notes for that one too. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, maybe the
1: Spotify one. I think that's where people listen the most on now. Gotcha. Used to be Apple, but uh, actually, you know what, I have a I have a link tree or whatever I'll send you. And then oh, people nice. can click it, select so, like, their preferred. Uh, and then follow us on Instagram as well at the DAB podcast, if you could and, uh, follow my new painting studio, Crescent edge studio, um, it's at Crescent edge studio. Uh, I should probably finish my logo for that right now. I just have a picture of my Katis next conversion <laughs> as the, uh, the profile picture, but, um, and, uh, I'm not, I'm not looking to do full armies right now. Uh, more character conversions and, and, uh Which I can build and then let you paint, or I can build and paint in my style, which is a little more like sharp contrast, a lot of luminosity, a lot of sort of playing with light to create interest. Yeah. Um, And a lot of texture as well is kind of my other sort of thing that I swing the bat with. So I've got one commission on the table right now um, doing uh, one of the Tetrarchs from the Ultramarines in the Battle of Kelth. Nice. um, For a guy here in town, and uh, he wants to paint it so it matches his army, which is fair. Um but I like playing with green stuff and I like playing with the bits box. So I'm pretty excited to get that guy done. And then uh, I'm of course working on my Casperion for my Blood Angels, um, which is a, a lot of bits and a little bit of green stuff as well. Awesome. Um yeah, but I'm excited for him. He'll he'll uh, I think he'll he'll be my piece to resistance mm. or whatever. <laughs>
0: Well, mm-hmm. All right. Thanks so much for your time, Alex. I appreciate you coming on and sharing your expertise with all of us. Um, like I said, check out those links. He said, check out those links. They'll be posted in the show notes. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for being here, buddy.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me.
0: So again, a big thank you to Alex for coming on to the show. Really appreciate having his insight. You know, I recorded that a little bit before I recorded the rest of this episode, and having gotten a chance to listen to our conversation a couple times, I was struck by a couple of things which are really unique about, I think, well, potentially any wargaming, but also really Horus Heresy. He's talking about, like, the sacking of Rome as inspiration for his force, and I think it just goes to show you how deep you can get into the project side of this army, and you know just how much fun you can have with that side of building things and you know the other thing too not to put off any of our listeners because uh, i'm i'm getting i'm getting a sense because of a lot of who's emailing me here that we have a lot of really new heresy players tuning in and that's really freaking awesome if you're new to wargaming as well then some of this might seem really intimidating because when a guy like alex comes on to talk strategy he's going to talk about you know the the real depths of what the game or games like this allow now you can get there right if you're listening here and you're just getting started and you're wondering is this too complex for me you can get there quite easily um, if you take the time to, to think about you know the mechanics of the game and how your play is going to function together. But if you just want to, you know, if, if that is not your style and you're not like super deep into the mechanics and the, the play and counterplay and whatever else, and you and your friends just want to put toy soldiers on the table and, uh, and have a couple drinks and have some laughs, that's also okay. I just want to make sure that point. Is out there. But what's really cool is to know that there's people out there in the community like Alex who are willing to bend your ear and talk to you about, you know, really unique and special ways that you can really up your game. And this is a game where not only your hobby craft can really go to places where you didn't think that it was possible, as far as, you know, exploring new painting techniques or whatever else, but also just the way you play the game and the way you perceive the game and games in general also has a lot more depth for you to plumb. So you know, jump into it and, you know, experience it as much as you want to, but feel free to, you know, make those explorations and, and really try to get into the, the real depth of the game. So after the, all of that, in that, you know, one-hour interview, Alex and I forgot to go back and talk about the Astartes shotgun. So I'm going to talk about that briefly now. Um, the Recon Squad does have an option to swap out for no points um, bolters for Astartes shotguns. The Astartis Shotgun has a 12-inch range, its strength 4, AP dash, so everything gets a save, Assault 2, and Concussive 1. So Concussive is an interesting rule. Um, Concussive states that a unit who suffers more or one wounds, regardless of whether or not those wounds are saved or otherwise discounted, from a weapon with this special rule must take a leadership test at the end of the shooting phase if those attacks were inflicted as part of a shooting attack, or the current combat if they were inflicted, inflicted as part of a melee attack. And if the test is failed, then that unit's weapon skill is reduced by the value in brackets as uh, as listed as part of the special rule until the end of the following assault phase. Um, so concussive one means that if your scouts run up, get within 12 inches, they're going to set up for a charge. They fire off a couple rounds with their you know trench sweepers, their shotguns, and they cause a wound then at the end of that they're gonna have to your opponents are gonna have to take a leadership test now you're not super likely to fail those leadership tests but just as much just as pinning has theoretical value co- the concussion concussive rule will negate one point of weapon skill and that will have a big impact on a lot of potential units as far as the overall outcome of a combat so let's say you run these guys cheap and you're just looking at a five-man recon squad. You give them chain swords, except for you give a couple of them uh, heavy, or, uh, you know, started shotguns. So you're hoping to guarantee with four shotgun shots, if they get close enough, a hit and a wound, and then there's a chance that you can reduce the weapon skill of your opponent by one. So now your charging uh, recon squad has the upper hand, gets a plus one to hit uh, against um, against that unit because of that failed save. Now there's potentially a lot of really cool things you can do with this, and especially if you're going to run like a larger ten man squad, I think throwing in a couple of shotguns to try to try to potentially tease out this reward. It's not a bad idea, um, but it's again just another example of the really strange, uh, in, entirely uh, wonderful. Uh, an expansive toolkit that the recon marines have, and just all the different cool stuff that you can do with them. So, wanted to make sure that we mentioned something about that. Now, I definitely am going to make sure that some I have a recon squad modeled with those, just because I think it's going to look cool, and I want to see it on the table. Now, as I mentioned in my interview with Alex, I've played a couple games with recon marines as well, um, because I'm I think that thematically and also the crunch style, they work really well with the Firewing lists that I'm going to be trying to build or work with this edition. So the the game I want to talk about is a game, it was Dark Angels versus Dark Angels, as I mentioned, and I ended up bringing three squads of Recon Marines for this game. Uh, One of those squads had two shotguns and melt bombs and the other two squads had nemesis bolters. And all three squads were able to do some pretty decent work. Um, I ended up putting both of my recon squads in my deployment, but in position uh, in my deployment zone. But you know, in position to have a nice line of fire for the battle. Um, I knew that my opponent was going to be coming for me. He was playing that Escaton Imperative um, version, so he had to come and get me out of my deployment zone. So I, I set up and knew he was going to have to run run down the field towards me um the squad with the melt bombs uh actually ended up surviving the game somehow um they were chasing down tanks and you know they the, they managed to get close enough to take out a land raider and then um uh, towards the end of the game there was a pinned unit of tactical marines that had been kept in place by not only the other recon squads but also the rotor cannon um the rotor cannon support squad And they charged in at the end when there was only a few left through just attrition. And they ended up, I think, tying up that unit for the rest of the game. My recon squads with uh, nemesis bolters were absolutely fantastic as well. Causing wounds every round. Causing pinning tests every round, each of them. And because of the fact that pinning tests stack, you know, there was sometimes just one unit that I really wanted to make sure it stayed where it was. And so I would just have both of them target. So, you know, like... I think my my friend had three large-ish veteran or tactical squads, and by the end, I think only one squad still had a sergeant or a uh, you know a vexilla slash augury scanner guy still standing. The rest of them I I sniped out. Um, it was also really helpful to uh, you know try to take the last couple or a wound here and there off of the Leviathan dreadnought, the Deep Struck, as I talked about with Alex. Um, really useful and I'll definitely be using them again, probably, um, going to build my night Lords at some point because I've had models for those for forever. And I'll definitely be putting some recon Marines in that squad as well. So now we've come to the end of our segments about line troops, at least the ones that are available to everybody. And so, you know, I just want to take a second and briefly talk about and, you know, restate some things that have, have come up since we've been looking at all of them. So um, the tactical squad and the despoiler squad, I think, are still very, very good general options for almost any legion. And I think you'll be seeing a lot of these, uh, maybe even one big squad with with a lot of legions. It's 245 points approximately for a big blob that has an apothecary. And it survives pretty well against most things, and it's going to help you score and stay in the middle of the field. And no matter what legion you're playing with, that's there. It's an option for you, and that's a good option to have. The spoiler squad is similar, but legions that have synergies with uh, charging pinned units or melee bonuses in general, like, you know, blood angels, night lords, space wolves world leaders, lots of them. I can definitely see taking to spoilers over tactical Marines for sure. Um, The other options, the assault squad and the breacher squad, I think still have roles, but they're not necessarily the ones that you will see people really filling up on. I can see one breacher squad, especially if you're going to end up playing some ZM just because breachers look and feel cool in Zone Mortalis. But assault squads, um, unless you have a right of war where you really want those jump packs, I can't really see many people taking more than one squad of those, and probably small squads, and probably just to like come around the sides and annoy and flank other units. The lack of, the fact that they need to focus on melee, and the fact that they only have weapon skill four, the fact that they're you know a little bit a little bit expensive, especially when compared to how cheap the spoilers are. I think it means that you won't see them as much, unless you're looking at a Rite of War that really, really uh, needs it. Or you're just seeing a person who loves jump packs. I mean, I know I do. Um, And then finally, there is the Recon Squad. And I think, in my opinion, I think the Recon Squad is king. I think it is a little bit expensive. The fact that it's a support squad means that it's not going to be the only thing you bring unless you are playing that Recon Rite of War. But regardless, I mean, it, it does a lot of things. It has the, the tools you need to do uh, tank hunting. It's good for trying to take out or remove individual units or pin things. Or, you know, if you just want to be general flank harassers, as Alex suggested, the synergy of shroud bombs and just boilerplate bolters. Uh, just the ability to harass um, other units other of just tactical Marines or the, the general value of tactical Marines more efficiently just because of shroud bombs, there's a lot of things that they, they can do. And they do it all well. And they score, which is just absolutely nuts to me, especially when you consider that scouts are in the game, are really not that much cheaper um, for five men, and uh, don't have line. They're just way, way worse. So the last thing for the day, um, I know just from talking it over, I mean i talked myself into it as I've been... Recording this, I'm definitely going to do an episode about the Dark Angels because I think that one in particular has enough complexity where it's worth exploring in different styles. Um, the other thing I know that I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about some of the non scoring troop choices, if just briefly. Specifically the, the the support squad, because I think a lot of people still have support squads from last edition. They were a great way to bring special weapons into the game, and I think they still are, but some of the things have changed, so we're going to talk about that. Um, beyond that point, though, this is where I really need your help. I've reached the end of my first arc, and I have lots of different ideas, but I'm really concerned about where it is that this podcast is going to go from here. Um, There is a lot of great Horus Heresy content out there. We just had a fantastic guest today who's been doing it for a long time as well. And I want to make sure that I'm making content that you people enjoy. Um, I am trying to, or at least I feel that the niche that we're sort of landing on here is educational focused and talking about the way the basic mechanics of the game work and how the whole thing should fit together. So, I mean, we could go into more deep dive on Legion stuff or rites of war mechanics or whatever else. I know I've got a segment coming up. Um, I've got something recorded that I'm going to be putting in later about all the different Centurion choices. But what else do you want to hear? Everyone, it seems like, does the Legion deep dive. So is that what you want? Do you want battle reports? What is it that uh, the Ineptus Astartes community, all like 45 of you, would really like to hear about? Drop me a line, Astartus 30 k at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Once again, thank you for being patient with the irregular posting schedule. Thank you for being good listeners and for being such positive um, responders and giving me such great ideas. Keep it coming. I really, really love it. Take care of yourselves. And uh, play some games. Talk to you soon.